Today's the day, Samantha. Today's the day Liz has been waiting for her entire life. Yeah, I did a lot of research for this a long time ago, and you are welcome. Liz has been do, working do, on this do, since do, she was... Do, do, when, when, at what age did you first watch The X-Files? If you do not know, Mystery Solvers, as in my youth, went through a phase of a few years, a couple of years, where you could not talk to me about anything except The X-Files. I had a very singular laser focus. Oh, they've seen The X-Files scrapbook on Instagram, I'm it's sure. the only thing that I cared about. Uh, that was when I was in, like, seventh, maybe end of seventh, okay. eighth, eighth okay. grade, beginning of freshman year of high school. Very formative years. Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, I really, yeah, that was all I did, somehow. I was thinking about this last night, how to explain. To me, I feel like obsession is like a fire. And you gotta keep adding fuel. Which is where the scrapbook comes in. Because... <laughs> It was only on once a week, right? Right. So, in anticipating the show, I had to, like, keep the obsession going to keep that, like, good, warm feeling. So I had to... you were clipping David Duchovny's face out of magazines. Yeah, I was, putting I was going to the around. store. I don't know that I literally did that, but I might as well have. I was going to bookstores to find... And they were in a lot of magazines. It's a very popular show, right? This was the cusp of it becoming, like, a huge thing. So, I'm like cutting out my magazine clippings. I'm going to sleep listening to Jillian Anderson's voice as a audiobook in an X-Files t-shirt. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, getting things from my collection of, like, merchandise and books, which had its own little bookshelf. Yep, yep. I had my magazine pictures up all over my walls. My Some of my friends were into the show, so that's, like, all we would talk about. It was a very, like... I don't know. Yeah, it was a very, you know, it was a horrible time. It's a youthful, transitional, awful time. Yeah, and I think this game, that was like what I would rather focus on. That was my outlet. Yeah. So I just really basically only sat around and like read books about the X-Files and interviews and yeah, worked on my scrapbook. Did you call yourself an X-File? That was, yeah, supposedly the name of the fans. <laughs> it's It only works in print, so it's dumb. Right, right. Uh, this was also, you know, like, the, the sort of the beginning, at least the beginning of my access to the internet, your, your AOL dial-up internet. Mm. So I'd be, like, going, trying to find out the hot goss about things, using up my phone Was there a lot of X-File line. fan fiction? Did you dabble in that? I read a little bit of fan fiction. Uh, the the internet at this time, which, you know, was basically just text, was very X-Files focused. Okay. Because uh, nerds like the internet and nerds like the X-Files. Sure. So it was a perfect, perfect marriage. Uh, I believe Jillian Anderson was like the most downloaded woman of some year or something, right? Makes you sense. Could, you could sit there for 45 minutes for a photo of her to slowly emerge in pixels, <laughs> which I did. Absolutely. Um, I had to know everything. So this is a, a look back in time at Liz's childhood. What's interesting is that I like quit it and I do this. I'll get really into something and then I'll like quit it hard. Oh, and at some sure. point Me I was too. just like, you know what? This show's not as good as it used to be. I'm done. And it's personally disappointed me, and I'm not even going to watch it anymore, and I'm taking down all my posters, and I'm <coughs> done. So, there's like a, there's a point where I can tell you, like, way too much about individual episodes of The X-Files, and then people will bring up something from, like, season six, and I'll be like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> sure. Which the show just kept going and going and going, yeah. and I, I'm like, I don't know what that is. Do you want to talk about this director, like, who did these three episodes, and this is, like, blah, 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 and I know all this stupid, useless trivia that's burned into my brain, but... Do you have a favorite episode? I don't. This is also not something I'm very nostalgic for. Okay. I have rewatched a couple episodes as an adult with a friend of mine, but it's not something I've really revisited, mm-hmm. uh, which is weird. I'm nostalgic for, like, everything. And anything. But maybe because I just loved this so much. You burned out on it. I've never, I've never really gone back to it. And I got rid of all my stuff a while ago. And. Well, thank God you still have the X-Files. I just kept the scrapbook. That's the one thing that's lived on. And your memories. And my sad, sad memories (laughs) of when this was like my whole life. I, I will give me like a month. Patreon supporters, I'm going to make a little video of the scrapbook so you can see it 
in all its glory. In all its glory. That because would be amazing. I really put a lot of hours into it, and someone should appreciate it. What a fucking loser I was. <laughs> and continue to be. Yeah, you really need to experience that scrapbook in all its glory. <sighs> yeah. It's so. really something. Did I sometimes just rip pages out of magazines I did not buy <laughs> so I could put them in my scrapbook? Maybe. Prove it. Prove it. Sometimes I was like, I don't have another $6. There's only one tiny blurb about Jillian Anderson in here. I'm supposed to buy the whole thing? Rip. <laughs> Sorry, Borders. Who's going to know? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Crown Books. <laughs> R.I.P. Borders. I know. That was like my favorite. I spent so much time yeah. there. It was really a haven. Yeah. I mean, lots of things that weren't school were a haven, but mm-hmm. definitely Borders, where I feel like I spent like 10% of my life. I lived for trips to Borders. The best. All right, so we are doing the <laughs> pilot episode of The X-Files, which I'm sure Liz is going to have plenty to talk about. I had not uh, seen this in a while. And this wasn't my favorite episode. It's also not the first episode I saw because I had to sort of rely on things being uh, rerun from mm-hmm. whenever I started, you know. Mm-hmm. But I, I think they released this on VHS. Um, so I had purchased that and had seen it. So I don't know. I, I probably saw this half a dozen times at some point if you want to either watch or rewatch this with us we streamed it on hulu that's where you can find yeah, it it's currently on hulu um this is my first i've never watched the x-files just really not, not a show i was ever i mean i feel like i've probably seen episodes but none of them that i can remember so this is my first time sitting down and absorbing an episode of the x-files it's we're, just not a show i got into we're like polar opposites right now we are but I enjoyed as, it. As, as a, usual. What was the show you made? De- was it Dexter that I really didn't like? That <laughs> yes. you made me watch? Yeah. I liked this. I feel like this held up better than I expected it to. Same. I was expecting it to be extremely dated. And in some ways it is, and obviously. But I was kind of surprised in the ways that it was dated because, you know, it's been so long since mm-hmm. I looked at it. And so it looks different in a way. Because sure. It's in a, we're in a different time now. Uh, I definitely noticed that the pictures are a lot brighter on my TV than on my parents' TV back in the day, <laughs> which sure, had a, sure. a dying picture tube that I kept turning up the brightness on, and then my dad would yell at me because I was killing the picture tube faster. Look, this was a dark show. It was hard to see what was going on, Dad. <laughs> it's often, it seems like it's always raining. It seems it's like it's always, always raining. It's always nighttime. They're always running around with these, like, industrial flashlights with very precise beams. <laughs> they never solve crimes during the day. So, okay. So this originally aired on September 10th, 1993. And we are getting this information from the X-Files Wikia. Thank you. Yes, it's very detailed. We I appreciate really the appreciate worked it. on this. Maybe I chatted with some of mm-hmm, you back mm-hmm. in the 90s on AOL. Hi. So there's a Hello. teaser at the very beginning. Uh, we're told that dressed in a nightgown, a young woman scrambles through a darkened forest at night. She stumbles into a small clearing and sees an immense light glowing over a nearby hill. As the surrounding leaves begin to whirl around the woman in a vortex, a figure approaches from the light. The figure stands over her as the life light engulfs them both. I think maybe right before we get anything, it tells us this is based on actual events. Which is sort of a lie. Hmm. Um, but the first episode of the X-Files involves missing time. First episode of Unsolved Mysteries involves missing time. Not a coincidence? I do not think that is a coincidence at all. I, I think, think not. This is do you know what this is based off of? Or is it just pieces of alien just, sightings yeah. pulled out of different stories? Yeah, it's not based on like one literal thing. They kind of acted like it was. Um, but I think this is definitely inspired by... Uh, unsolved mysteries where it's like what if someone just investigated the paranormal unsolved mysteries yeah. and wore a trench coat all the time and then you get molder i mean if this was a real job it sounds amazing i know i definitely went to visit the fbi headquarters in the 90s and i was not the person that asked in a group where are the x-files but i definitely got the impression that someone on every fucking tour <laughs> was like where are the x-files show us the x-files and they had to be like oh my god that's not real <laughs> we actually just care about like I don't know, money laundering or something. Then you realize the FBI is actually very boring. And then you go, oh, why did we come to take a tour of this place? Yeah. So we're in the Column National Forest in Northwest Oregon. The special effects 
Maximus opening thing aren't great, but considering this is 93 and this is television, it's not terrible. I've definitely decent. seen worse. But this show doesn't have Game of Thrones money. Like, it's very no, good. No, this is just Fox. Fr- this was on a Friday. Like, Fox did not actually think this show was going to do well. They greenlit it. They thought their big show this year was going to be something called uh, Briscoe County Jr. Something you've <laughs> never heard of. <laughs> Starring Bruce Campbell. That's what they put all their promo money into. And then they just shoved this on Friday nights and thought no one would watch it. Turns out what the people really want. It turns out everyone's nerds and they didn't want some weird, like, Western comedy with Bruce Campbell at all. Um, Chris Carter's previous show was, like, a musical for ABC. Interesting. But this uh, hit off and then he was like, oh, never mind. This really took off. So the next morning, Detective Miles and Connor John Truitt inspect the woman's corpse with oh, a team the coroner. of coroners. Uh, okay, Truitt shows Detective Miles two small bumps. Yeah, I don't remember anyone's names except for a scully. It doesn't really matter, honestly. There's a coroner and there's a cop guy. Yeah, they inspect two small bumps on the woman's lower back. A trail of dried blood runs from runs from the woman's nose to her mouth. Detective Miles recognizes the young woman as Karen Swenson, since she used to go to school with his son. As Miles walks away in a hurry, Truitt calls after him. The coroner asks whether the woman and the detective's son were in the high school class of 1989 together and implies that other other members of her class have died in the same way as Karen Swenson. Dun, dun, dun. Something I find interesting about this opening is that it opens with, it doesn't open with our, our main characters, it opens with something paranormal happening. And because you <coughs> see that scene, you know immediately that it is paranormal. It's not a normal police procedural. Right. It's not something... I. I didn't remember that exactly, and I would have thought that it opened with them investigating the case and then finding out that it's paranormal and that Mulder was right. But no, the whole time we know, as the viewer, this is actually something paranormal. Honestly, that surprised me too, as well, because you think that they would spring it on you. Yeah. All right, so next we go to the FBI headquarters in Washington, D.C. Special Agent Dana Scully... Uh, enters the FBI building and reports to a receptionist. She then walks through a set of offices until she comes to Division Chief Scott Blevins' office. Inside, Blevins questions her about her past work, while a mysterious man smoking a cigarette silently watches. So this is... It's interesting also how many things are brought up in the pilot episode that become reoccurring things on the show, and one of them is the smoking man, who is this sort of mysterious figure that seems to be pulling some strings... We actually meet him before we meet Mulder. So that's kind of interesting, too, that that has been Mm. thought out. This show is not conceived in the way a show would be now, where it has, like, a huge story arc. It tries to, like, shove that in later, and it doesn't work. Mm. So, But there are little things that that are reoccurring on the show that are even there in the pilot. So that's kind of interesting. That is interesting. So Scully is a medical doctor who has been working within the FBI for a little more than two years. Blevins notifies her that she is being assigned to work with Fox Mulder on The X-Files, a group of cases that involve paranormal or inexplicable phenomena. So Scully does not have her iconic hair yet. I think maybe she does by the second episode. You you know, usually you film a pilot, you pitch it to different networks. There's a period of time before you start filming the rest of the show. Right. I know that Fox didn't like Gillian Anderson. They didn't think she was hot enough to be the lead. Really? She's hot as hell. She's stunning, but these are some very Pamela Anderson years and they were well, yeah. they were not she was not really what they were looking for, despite yeah, being truly iconically beautiful so they were wrong um i think they were more okay with david duchovny who had been on the soft core porn show red shoe diaries <laughs> and so everybody had already seen him nude sure sure so that's gonna and i had sort of in my recent years been like god what was wrong with me as a teenager because you look at david duchovny now and he just looks sleazy and gross and terrible mm-hmm. but in this he did actually look kind of cute so i was like okay I he kinda, has those pouty lips that you kind of can't stop looking at. And he, when he, I miss him wearing, he was wearing glasses, which happens very rarely, but mm. does happen this first time you see him. Yeah. So. so in the building's basement, Scully meets Mulder in his office. Mulder shows her several slides of Karen Swenson's dead body and reveals that a strange organic su- substance has been found near the two marks on the woman's back. He also doesn't, like, super aggressively and meanly, which I guess is because he thinks Scully is sent to spy on him. Yeah, he accuses her of being there to spy. But he just talks to her in this really arrogant, condescending way that makes you want to slap him. Mm-hmm. He's, and I don't remember this, extremely unlikable. Yeah. What a dick. <laughs> 
that struck me too. Mulder, shut up. <laughs> he also shows her two slides of bodies found in Sturgis, South Dakota, and Shamrock, Texas, where both the two spots and the substance in the surrounding tissue were found. Although Mulder seems to believe that the cases are somehow linked to aliens, Scully argues that science will uncover a more logical explanation. This dynamic goes on for most of the show, even after Scully has, like, literally seen aliens. Okay, that was my question, is how long does she play the way skeptic role? Too, Way too long. To the point where it's like, has she forgot? Did she get amnesia? Did she forget? Because <laughs> it's them constantly coming, like, so close to proving something, and then, oh no, the evidence is gone. But it's like, but yeah, but you know. Like, you've seen this. Even in this episode, she sees, like, some weird lights and shit. But she will remain a skeptic for years. Okay. All right. Well, (laughs) I I admire her conviction. Mulder tells her that three of Karen Swenson's classmates have also died in mysterious circumstances and states that he and Scully will leave to investigate the deaths early the next morning. Which, I don't know. She was just like, great. Thanks for giving me some notice on that. Let's go. (laughs) Mulder, you arrogant bastard, who apparently was like some genius profiler who helped catch this fake serial killer, and that's mm-hmm. why he gets to do whatever he wants, which I didn't remember that either. Yeah, he's got some some clout. She knows exactly who he is. On an airplane to Oregon, Mulder lies sprawled across a row of seats. Which, David Cunningham is tall. How many seats is that that he's taking up? A lot. Practically half the airplane. Yeah. Uh, he has his eyes are closed and he has headphones in his ears. Wearing glasses, Scully meanwhile looks at a new wearing glasses. <laughs> very important. This is a very descriptive wearing wiki. glasses. Whoever wrote this was very devoted. I'm hi person. I probably chatted with back in the back in the day. Did you get a rude email from me because you were wrong about some <laughs> tiny detail? Something I absolutely would do. Write actual letters to people that they got something wrong in their book and perhaps I could help them out because they don't know what they're talking about. Wow. Mm-hmm. wow. Yep. Yep. I was pretty cool. Pretty cool kid. <laughs> That's why I have a podcast about unsolved mysteries now. It all makes sense. It's all coming together. So Scully's looking at newspaper clippings about the dead teenagers. She focuses on the name Dr. Newman and the camera slowly zooms in on the name Dr. Newman. What? Yeah, it's clearly Is that going to be important later? Uh, nah. Alright, upon making its descent, the plane suddenly starts to shake violently, but eventually normalizes. Mulder nonchalantly concludes that the temporary vibrations must mean they are in the right place. So yeah, the plane basically almost crashes, and he's like, ooh, makes sense. Yeah, also, I remember, since I remembered, you know, enough of the plot of this episode, I was like, what does this plane shaking have to do with anything? And the answer is, nothing. They just wanted something vaguely exciting to happen at this point in the show. Yeah, I didn't quite follow that. No, it has has nothing to do with anything. Afterwards, Mulder drives a rental car into Bluefier, Oregon, as Scully reads the relevant X-File. She is surprised to learn that the case has already been investigated, information that Mulder did not disclose. Because he was too busy arrogantly ranting. He seems to not disclose a lot of stuff to her. So he explains that the FBI became involved after the first three deaths, but later one but left one week after without explanation. According to Scully, no unidentified marks are noted in the autopsy reports of the first three victims, although those reports were signed by different medical examiner than the latest victim. Mulder is impressed by Scully's observations, but adds that they won't know whether the original medical examiner is a suspect until they have exhumed one of the first three bodies. I think she's like, yeah, it's much more likely that this is an error than there's a big conspiracy or aliens. And you know what? She's right. She is right. The agents will likely then have a better idea whether the examiner intentionally missed the strange marks or if Karen Swenson was the first victim with the spots. Suddenly, the car's radio powers up and the agents hear a high-pitched noise. Mulder stops the car and uses an aerosol uh, spray paint can from the luggage compartment to spray a large red X on the road directly behind the vehicle. Which, why did he buy this? Was he flying with spray paint in his luggage? I don't think you can do that. Yeah, he must be. Well, you never know when you need to paint an X on the road, Liz. <laughs> Maybe I'll start doing this. When weird stuff happens. When he returns to the car, Mulder states that the incident was probably only trivial. Because she goes, what the fuck are you doing? She really goes, what the hell was that? And I was like, Scully, I love you. I love you still so much. 
All right. Next, the agents arrive at their destination. They meet with John Truitt and an assistant coroner. The group begins to discuss arrangements for the exhumation, but are interrupted when another car arrives and the county medical examiner who autopsied the first three bodies steps out. And he's pissed! Oh yeah. This examiner, Dr. J. Newman, struggles to stop his daughter from interfering and protests against the FBI's use of the cemetery. He also reveals that he and his family have just come back from Blue Fleer to Blue Fleer... The Belfleur? I think it's Belfleur. Belfleur. After a recent holiday, which explains why he didn't conduct the autopsy on Karen Swenson. When Mulder mentions the tissue sample taken from the victim's body, Newman believes that the agents are insinuating that he missed something in the original autopsies. Which they are. Eventually, the man leaves at his daughter's <laughs> She's insistence. like, we're not insinuating anything. But it's like, but you are, though. Clearly, you are. Also, you're here to investigate him. Yeah. And then Mulder's like, Mulder, who keeps cracking jokes, which all land flat at very inappropriate times, is like, seems like that guy should have taken a longer holiday. <laughs> because he thinks he's Lenny Briscoe for Law and Order, but uh-huh. he is not. Definitely. Mulder and Scully return to the gravesite and discuss Ray Soames, the third victim whose body they are exhuming. A crane lifts Soames' coffin out of the ground, but a harness attached to the vehicle suddenly breaks and the coffin rolls down a hill. I feel like this happens all the time on this show. So many coffins just just tumbling down falling over and things spilling out. Yeah. Mulder runs towards the coffin to see it has broken and opened by the fall. Against Truett's advice, Mulder opens the coffin to find a desiccated, mummified body laying inside. The corpse is is definitely not human, and Mulder demands that the coffin be released. Yeah, it looks disgusting. Yeah, it's pretty gross. So then we cut to Scully working in the lab. Mm Mm-hmm. While examining the the corpse, Scully determines that the body is mammalian, possibly an orangutan or chimpanzee. Excited that the body may have been alien in origin, Mulder asks Scully to conduct a complete analysis of the the corpse. Scully, who thinks that the presence of the body was someone's practical joke, reluctantly agrees to comply with Mulder's request. What kind of a joke would this be? She was, yeah, she's like, well, this isn't an alien. This is clearly some elaborate prank where someone kills a chimpanzee. It digs up a coffin, <laughs> takes a real body out, pull, puts in a mummified chimp, <laughs> reburies the- You know that old gag? <laughs> you know that old gag where people are like, oh, my son died before his time. And people are like, hee hee, it's actually a chimp. <laughs> it's a classic. Hilarious. Classic. Hilarious. I, have to be- I, think, I think we all it's, play that It's more that of an joke. Oregon thing, but... <laughs> Later, Scully finds a small metallic implant in the body's nasal cavity. Mulder knocks at her door and asks if she wants to join him on a run. He's wearing a hat backwards, and it's terrible. Yeah. Scully uh, tiredly declines. When Mulder wonders if she has identified the implant in Soames' nose, she replies negatively and bids Mulder goodnight. She kind of is acting like she's not really that interested, even though she's been up all night typing and like working on the case and mm-hmm. she's like no i'm not gonna lose any sleep over this even though she literally is clearly she's, she's clearly getting sucked it. into his madness already but she doesn't want to admit it and he's like i'm i'm so excited that we found this alien i gotta go for a run we're in my hat backwards because <laughs> you know he's casual now yeah 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 and already eating sunflower seeds another thing Interesting. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Mulder and Scully walk uh, the next day with Dr. Glass, who confirms that Ray Soames was a patient at the hospital. Glass claims that under his suit... By the way, we're in the Raymond County State Psychiatric Hospital. Um, They're talking to this doctor. Uh, Soames appeared to suffer from a form of post-traumatic stress and couldn't grasp reality. Similar cases that Glass has treated have included several of Soames' classmates, two of whom are currently undergoing treatment at the hospital. The patients, Billy Miles and Peggy O'Dell, have lived in the hospital for four years. When Scully asks if she and Mulder can speak to them, Glass replies that the agents might have difficulty questioning the patients, especially Billy Miles. Inside the hospital, Billy lies in a bed unresponsive as Glass and the agents enter. The doctor explains that Miles is experiencing a waking coma. I'm not really sure what that is. As a result of the car accident on state a state yeah, road, it might not be real. In which Peggy O'Dell was also involved. He's in sort of a vegetative state. Mm-hmm. His insurance must be incredible. 
because... He's been living there for four years. He's just lying in this bed. Yep. Unresponsive. Peggy sits in a wheelchair next to Billy Miles, reading to him. The doctor asks her if she will talk with the visitors, but she replies that Billy wants her to read to him at the moment. When Mulder asks the doctor for permission to conduct a detailed medical examination of Peggy O'Dell, she throws her book down and starts wildly wheeling wheeling around. She, like, flops out of the wheelchair and is yelling and thrashing and... Mm Mm-hmm responds kind of look she doesn't she doesn't want to be examined fine yeah i get it a nurse approaches and tries to calm her but she starts screaming um and then her nose starts to bleed when she falls out of her wheelchair Mueller takes the opportunity to lift up the back of her shirt confirming his suspicion that she has the spots not cool Mulder. Yeah, you don't touch people without their permission. He helps Glass to lift the girl back into her wheelchair shortly before Scully angrily rushes out of the room. Possibly because Mulder's a creep. Yeah, possibly. Outside, Mulder hurriedly follows her down a flight of steps. He realizes that Scully is upset because she thinks he knows more about the strange marks than she does. Eventually, Mulder admits to his belief that the teenagers were abducted by extraterrestrials, a theory that Scully thinks is not true. She comments that there must be another explanation, which can be proved scientifically, mentioning that all four victims were found in or near the woods. Scully wonders what they were doing there. Now, it's suddenly nighttime. Was it clearly early in the day? (laughs) She goes, huh, I wonder what they were doing in the woods. Cut to pitch black darkness. Yes, now it's night. The agents walk through the forest where the latest victim died. They carry flashlights and are dressed in informal clothing. Wow, this wiki is... Very detailed. I love it. After they separate, Mulder looks at a compass he is carrying, which is spinning wildly. In the clearing where Karen Swenson died, Scully notices a patch of strange dirt on the ground. She picks up some of the dirt and puts it in her pocket when a low rumbling begins. Scully removes a gun from her pocket and leaves the clearing. She approaches the source of the noise where a light shines through the trees. A humanoid silhouette from out of the light comes towards her. I like that she hears this like rumbling and sees a bright, bright light in the woods. Like the sort of light you would have over a football game. Like that, oh, yeah, it's like a spotlight. Like that sort of intensity. And she's like, Mulder, is that you? Yes, it's him. <laughs> His flashlight just got really bright. Yeah, that's that's, that's him, all right. <laughs> so the silhouette is actually Detective Miles. He doesn't reveal his name, but states only that he is employed by the Raymond County Sheriff's Department and warns the agents that they are on private property and they are forced to leave. Driving through a storm in the darkness of night, Scully shows Mulder the dirt that she has gathered earlier. Mulder believes the dirt might be from a campfire. Which is one of the most reasonable theories he's ever had or ever will have. That's dirt from a campfire, sure. While Scully theorizes that the teenagers may have been part of a cult, and that the man they just encountered is aware of that. See? Unsolved mysteries Mm -hmm. adjacent. Mm -hmm. Why does she immediately go, oh, look at this sort of ashy dirt. Cult. That is a leap, Scully. (laughs) There's no scientific basis for that. But this dude in the woods, suspicious. That is suspicious. Telling FBI agents that are investigating a case, you got to get the hell out of here. I'm with the sheriff's department. That's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Suddenly there is a blinding flash of light and the car loses power. Mulder, who looked at his watch just before the incident, says that they've lost nine minutes of time. Extremely excited, Mulder (laughs) exits the car and discovers that they are almost exactly at the red cross he previously marked on the road he excitedly explains to scully that the people who have sighted ufos often report lost time which is something discussed on on some mysteries absolutely however scully argues that time can't just disappear as it is constant throughout the universe which is that true i think that's how time works Anyway, I have no idea. I assume everything Scully says is true. Sure. The car then restarts by itself and the headlights come back on. In her motel room, Scully writes her report, concluding that she cannot validate nor substantiate Mulder's claim that they experienced a loss of time. I like that she's going to put that in her report. It has nothing to do with the case, really. No, yeah, not at all. Why even include that, Scully? Well, it gets the impression that she is actually spying on him. Yeah. So I, don't, I guess. I yeah. don't know if that comes into play later. When the power goes out due to the storm, Scully begins to get ready to take a shower, but notices three spots on her back. Which means that we get to see Jillian Anderson in her bra and underwear. What we were all tuning in for anyway. Yeah, it seems like that was on purpose. They were I, just trying to figure oh, out a really? way to get her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 
Surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. All right. Worried that the spots may be the same marks that the teenagers had, Scully visits Mulder in his motel room, where he determines that the spots are only mosquito bites. But he definitely drags it out. Yeah. Like, not she's cool. she's, like, comes. I think it's still raining. She's wearing her bathrobe. She's like, I need to show you something. And he's like, okay. <laughs> and then his spots on her back. But he's just has his head hovering by her tiny waist for quite a while. Far too long. And, and it's clear that there's like three spots instead of two, so obviously it's not the yeah. spots, but... Yeah. It's, the, it's the beginning of the will-they-won't-they they sexual tension mm. that marked this show. Mm, yes. Later, Mulder tells her that his sister's disappearance... about his sister's disappearance when he was 12 and it tore his family apart. He continues by recalling that he left America as soon as he could and attended Oxford University before being recruited by the Bureau. Guess what his sister's name is. What? Samantha. Is it? Oh, that's yeah. a great name. Yeah. Quality name. Best character of the show, who's not even in the show. <laughs> uh, she kind of is eventually. Oh, okay. Sure. I suppose. <laughs> this is the motivating factor. This is his white whale that ah, he's chasing. Sure. What sure, happened sure. to his sister? He's got to find out. I suppose. Yeah, she disappeared. That doesn't... Okay. All right. He then discovered the X-Files and became fascinated by them. He tells Scully that he has been trying to access classified government information, but someone at a higher level of power has been blocking him from doing so. Possibly someone who smokes cigarettes. Hmm. Interesting. The only reason Mulder has been able to continue his work is that he has made connections in Congress. You know, this kind of makes sense. Now that we know that there are UFOs and that there were... You know, people at the Pentagon just monitoring UFO activity. It makes sense that you could keep the funding afloat with connections in Congress. It does make sense. He suspects Scully is part of an agenda to stop him, but she swears that she is not and tries to convince him to trust her. Mulder leans forward and tells Scully that Dr. Heitz-Werber has taken him through regression hypnosis to access his repressed memories of the night his sister disappeared. He reveals to Scully that he can recall from that night. Mulder believes that his sister was abducted by extraterrestrials and that the government is aware of the existence of aliens. He also states that the only thing that matters to him is finding out whether the government is what the government is protecting. Mulder then receives a uh, strange phone call from an anonymous female caller who says that Peggy O'Dell is dead. (gasps) Yikes. Okay, so then we go, uh, we're on rural highway 133 in Belfuller, Oregon. Uh, When the agents arrive at the scene of the car accident that killed Peggy O'Dell, a driver tells Mulder that the girl ran in front of his car, despite normally being in a wheelchair. Scully takes a look at the girl's body. Her face is bloodied and her watch has stopped at the same time that the agents experience lost time. Mulder tells Scully that the autopsy uh, lab has been uh, trashed and the body that the agents exhumed has been stolen. The gross, possibly chimpanzee. Mm-hmm. They leave the scene uh, in the car they arrived at. At this point, we got to wrap up this plot. Things are going fast. Yeah, there's a lot in this episode, which is true of pilots, I guess, but... The X-Files often had more complicated plots than it really needed. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you're like, wait, who's that? And like, (laughs) things don't... I don't know if it's because they like had to edit it down. Okay. Like they had a grander idea, but you couldn't quite fit it all in an hour. So it it seems like this plot is a little bit more complicated than is really necessary for this story. I would agree with that. So Mulder and Scully return to their motel to find that it has burned down along with all of their files and photos. A terrified girl, Teresa Newman, rushes up to the agents and asks for their protection. In a diner, Teresa speaks with Mulder and Scully. She reveals that she often finds herself in the woods with no recollection of how she got there. She fears that she might die, like most of her classmates. Most of her classmates? That was only a couple. I guess if she had a really small class. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, that's confusing. I'm... Like several of her classmates, let's go with. Mulder realizes that Teresa Teresa is the medical examiner's daughter and that she was the anonymous caller who told them that Peggy O'Dell was dead. Also, I feel like he should have figured that out right away because she has a very distinctive way of talking. Yeah. Which is what I've remembered about this episode all of these years later is the way she's like, has this very wavering... He thinks he can protect me, but I don't think he can. (laughs) That's true. Very distinctive. 
So she admits that her father is covering things up and that she has the same spots as the other teenagers. Suddenly, her nose starts bleeding, moments before her father enters the s- with the same detective who warned the agents to leave the forest. Mulder and Scully learn that the, te- the detective is Billy Miles' father and are unable to stop the men from taking Teresa home. So Teresa is in some danger. Mm-hmm. Scully thinks the medical examiner and the detective are aware of the murderer's identity and are responsible for the destruction of the autopsy lab and the agent's motel rooms. However, she is unsure of the reason the corpse was stolen, if the men are indeed responsible. <coughs> At this point, they just suddenly decide to go to the cemetery to check on the other bodies they hadn't exhumed. And of course, by that point, they've been taken. Yeah, I don't really understand what when, motivated when them to do that. were they taken? Were they... They wouldn't have realized that Mulder and Scully were about to figure that out. So, I'm not sure exactly when that happened. And then Mulder just happens to figure it out. <laughs> yep. Based uh, on really nothing. Yeah, so Mulder and Scully go to the cemetery, but discover that the bodies of the other two victims have been exhumed. Mulder suddenly realizes the killer's true identity. Billy Miles, the boy in the hospital. You thought he was stuck in a bed and couldn't get out and therefore wasn't a suspect. Well, you were a sucker, because it's him. It, no clue how he, he just goes, figured that out. I know who it is. It's Billy Miles. And Scully's like, the boy in the hospital? And he's just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this took me by surprise when I was watching this. Look, we got to wrap it up. The hour's almost over. I mean, it's true. We got a lot happening here. So Scully can hardly believe that M- what Mulder is suggesting, but he claims that recent strange events such as Peggy Udell dying at the exact same time that he and Scully lost nine minutes fit the profile of alien abduction. Mulder theorizes that tests were being conducted on the victims that left the marks found on their backs, but the experiments caused a genetic mutation explaining the disfigured body in Ray Soames' coffin. This seems way too complicated. I don't know how he figured this out. In regards to the loss of nine minutes, the he and Scully witness Mulder believes that the conventional time stopped and that an alien that an alien impulse, which also caused Billy Miles to take the victims into the forest, actually took control of time itself. I do not think that was even well explained in the episode, so thank you, Wiki. I don't understand how he figured this out. Scully laughs almost hysterically with Mulder finding... Finding his theory preposterous, but believing it nevertheless. Yeah, she comes around, I guess, and understands. I don't know. In an attempt to confirm or disprove their suspicions, Mulder and Scully return to the hospital where Billy Miles is undergoing treatment. Although his nurse claims that his mental condition has rendered him incapable of walking, Scully shows Mulder dirt on the soles of the boy's feet. She takes a sample of the dirt shortly before she leaves the room with Mulder. Mulder is, like, kind of hitting on the nurse to get information, which uh-huh. is slightly amusing. And then he was like, oh, are you the one that emptied his bedpan? Did you notice anything unusual? Yeah, that's... Very flirtatious. Yeah. That's what I want to talk about. Good job, Mulder. Outside, Scully claims to be certain that Billy Miles was in the same forest as the victims. She explains that the dirt she has just discovered matches the strange earth she found in Column National Forest earlier. Unfortunately, the sample of strange earth of the strange dirt was destroyed in the motel fire and therefore can only, cannot be used to make a comparison. Very convenient. But it was just dirt in her pocket. None of it's left. <laughs> The agents go look in your pocket, Scully. The agents consequently decide to return to the woods in order to retrieve another sample. It is now night again. Yep. Well, and it's raining, I think. When Mulder and Scully arrive at the edge of the forest, they notice Detective Miles's car. A distinct scream draws them into the woods. Scully follows Mulder as they run towards the source of the noise, but is suddenly ambushed by Detective Miles and falls to the ground. The detective start, uh, stands over Scully and reminds her of his previous warning to stay away. He then runs towards Mulder and holds him at gunpoint. Mulder accuses Miles of always knowing what was happening and warns that his son is about to kill another girl. Persuaded by Mulder, Detective Miles rushes towards his son, who holds Teresa Newman in his arms. The detective urges his son to put her down and raises his gun. When Billy Miles does not comply, Mulder knocks the detective over just as he is about to fire his gun, alerting Scully to their location. I understand almost none of what happens in this last scene. I think that this show kind of takes advantage of paranormal things to not explain shit. 
So that it's like, well, but why is the testing causing, like, why does Billy have to bring people to the woods and why does it kill some people? And you can just go, oh, aliens. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand. Who knows what they're up to? They're aliens. He's killing these girls, but he's like compelled to bring them. Is he sneaking out of the hospital? Is he, no I, one sees him? I think no one sees him. No one thinks that he can move. So they're not suspecting him. That somehow the aliens are communicating with him with a thing that's like in his nose, like that implant she found, and are making him bring his other classmates to the woods. I don't know why the aliens are killing them. I also don't understand the resolution. So this is what happens. Mulder and the detective witness Billy Miles lift Teresa Newman in his arms as leaves whirl around him and a bright light shines down from above. The light eventually engulfs them all as Scully watches from a distance uh, after the light dissipates, Billy has no memory of his actions and is confused as to what happened. The spots on his back are gone, and he is no longer crippled by the detective's effects of by the de- deleterious effects of a waking coma. What a sentence! Unlike the other victims, Teresa Newman is unharmed. Why? This, I, this is what I don't understand. Why? Why does? Why does? Because the episode is over. That's why. Why does Mulder stop? the detective from trying to shoot him why does why does she get engulfed in the light but then it's somehow fine why is billy somehow healed i have no idea aliens <laughs> i don't understand why is her father complicit we, do we ever learn that aliens okay oh sure aliens yeah very confusing you wish you were watching Briscoe County Jr. right now. <laughs> well, definitely not, but... All right, so let's conclude this thing. So Billy Miles undergoes hypnosis performed by Heights Werber. Mulder is in the room with him while Scully watches from the uh, another room with a one-way mirror. Division Chief Blevins, the cigarette-smoking man and the third man from earlier, also in the room. According to Billy Miles, he and his friends were having a party in the woods to celebrate their graduation when he first saw the bright light. It transported him to a location that he calls, quote, the testing place, where a group told him to gather the others so they could do tests. The group put an implant in his nasal cavity, and he would wait for the light to give their orders to him. They assured him that it would be okay and that no one would know. However, the test didn't work, and they wanted everything destroyed. Except Teresa, apparently. Yes. And apparently he gets cured. Although they said they were leaving, Billy is now afraid that they're coming back. Heights Werber tells him not to be afraid, assuring him that the FBI are only trying to help. And the cigarette-smoking man whispers something to Blevins. In the F- uh, when the FBI officials subsequently start to leave, Scully falls close behind. Mulder looks at the mirror directly at her, and she stops briefly, knowing that he cannot see her. Scully looks at Mulder through the mirror and then exits the, the room. So they have this moment, basically. In Blevins' office, Scully and the division chief discuss the case. Uh, the, the smoking guy is there. He and Blevins both seem to believe that the suggestion of alien abduction in Scully's field reports and Billy Miles' supposed recollections under hypnosis is completely unscientifically founded. Uh, but Scully is like determined to have an accurate report. Um, blah, she, won't blah, be, blah. she won't be bullied into throwing Mulder under the bus, given what she's seeing already. Yeah. And this very confusing case of alien abduction slash experiment slash murder. After she's dismissed from Blevins' office, Scully passes the cigarette-smoking man in the corridor outside. She pauses to watch him enter Blevins' office before continuing on her way. Later, Scully lies awake in bed. She answers a phone call from Mulder, who tells her that a case file on Billy Miles has disappeared from the district attorney's office in Raymond County, Oregon. Mulder wants to talk with her, and Scully agrees that they will discuss their situation on the following day. She's like, yeah, quit calling me in the middle of the night, you asshole. I'm trying to sleep. (laughs) The clock is at 1121, which I believe is Chris Carter's birthday, which is always the fucking time on the X-Files. It is always 1121. It's a little... If you've never noticed that before, you will notice it constantly to the point where it really bugs the crap out of you. Huh, interesting. In a storage room in the Pentagon, the cigarette-smoking man files away the implant in a box containing many others, surrounded by rows upon rows of shelves, all containing similar boxes. He exits sits the room and locks the door by running his key card through its sensor before walking away. This is a little, Samantha wouldn't know this, this is a little Indiana Jones moment where he is putting the object that you would think should be studied. He's filing it away. Well, no one will know what it is. And apparently they already have similar implants. Yeah. Scully explained that she had the implant in her pocket, so it was not destroyed in the fire. Also, it was literally everything destroyed in that fire. What a hell of a fire. Except the implant, I guess. 
Well, that's because she had it. All oh, that long. dirt. Yeah. And she, yeah, but it did destroy the dirt. Her pocket dirt. <laughs> pocket dirt. Uh, you think the FBI would be a little more concerned with people burning down hotels that FBI agents were staying in? Nah. That seems like a pretty serious crime. Nah. But it's really treated in like five seconds. They go back, they're like, oh no, the hotel's on fire. The x-rays. The photographs. What I also thought in- was interesting is like, they seem to have no authority, even though they're from the FBI. Like, these local sheriffs can just be like, get the fuck out of here. And they're like, oh, what are we going to do? And they slink away. I mean, in a way, this isn't a federal crime. So maybe they don't have any authority to investigate I guess it. maybe. They're- it's fiction also. I don't understand why they can't just walk in and be like, where are the FBI? <laughs> where are the FBI? Shut the fuck up. Isn't that what happens on Criminal Minds? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're often investigating things that are not federal crimes. Um, they're just weird, and Mulder wants to look into them. So They're just showing up. Well, I guess in that case, they, what the fuck are they doing there anyway? Yeah, I don't I don't know. Those are taxpayer dollars. Where are the, where are the X-Files? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think the plot is a little convoluted and clearly just wraps up because the episode's done. Despite being confused by almost everything that was going on, I enjoyed the show. I enjoyed the episode. Okay. I thought it was entertaining. Uh, it had the vibe. It had the creepy spooky. It was probably because it was dark all the time and raining. It yeah. had, like, you know, the eerie vibe. I enjoyed it. Uh, they filmed in Vancouver. Really took advantage of that rain. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much always raining. It's pretty much always dark. I'm sure it's very cold filming days. Sure, sure. Um, you should have an X Files podcast. You know so much about it. No, I really shouldn't. <laughs> but maybe we'll do another one for Patreon if people like it. We could do one of my favorite ones. Ooh, that would be fun. That's a possibility. I'll throw it out there. I appreciate that whoever wrote the X Files Wikia is so descriptive. They literally wrote like every single thing. Yeah, that was very. Let's see what other very notes I took. Very here. helpful. Oh, I wrote down that Scully is already wearing her cross necklace. Okay. That's important because we're going to get into, as the show continues, Mulder believes in aliens, Scully believes in God. Okay. You know, how can she be a scientist? Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. That's deep. Mulder's a time. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was the 90s. It was 90s deep. Uh, I wrote down that Scully gets hit on the head a lot in the show. <laughs> that does happen constantly. And it happens in this episode. She gets whacked on the head in the woods. Poor, poor Scully just hypnosis with an explanation point <laughs> um Mulder's hair looked great oh for sure even after it's blown back by the spaceship I think that really was his power if, okay go look at like Seinfeld go look at fucking Jerry Seinfeld's hair and it's so long in the back <laughs> and we didn't even call that a mullet that was just hair yep. then look at Mulder's hair which is like precisely sculpted and like so poofy on top and it's just my brother once went to a hair salon with a trading card of Mulder and asked for that haircut, <laughs> by the way. Shout out to him. Amazing. Amazing. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel I could talk about this for a long ass time, but I feel like we should wrap it up. Should we rate it on stuff? Oh, uh, sure. There wasn't really a mustache. No. I don't um, think there was a notable mustache. I, I mean, thumbs up on mysteriousness, because who knows what the fuck happened. <laughs> That's true. You just say <laughs> it, was very, it was very mysterious. Aliens. You just tossed your hands up. with a lot of questions. Yeah. Oh, but, but you always are. Well, okay. Because there's so much in the universe that cannot be explained. <laughs> do, 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 do. How, do you, well, how many Robert's acts would you give it? Um, I'm like, I don't know, 3, 3.5? I would say 3.5. I was entertained. It's, it was, it's well paced because so much shit happens. It keeps you pretty engaged. It packed a lot into that I hour. liked how they tried to make, and this is something you don't really see on TV anymore, but like every cut to commercial break is almost like a little cliffhanger mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. she's like, wait, who's there? And then you cut to commercial break. And I was like, oh yeah. Well, I feel like so many shows we watch now don't have commercials. Right. So, so you don't have you don't that, like, that. Oh, it's got to keep you sitting there. You keep, keeping you from turning the channel. Yeah. They don't want you to get up, get a snack and not come back. Yeah. You got to sit your ass down. Or if you're me, tape it on a VHS that you've carefully labeled which episode of the X-Files <laughs> is on there so that you can rewatch it a bunch of times. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then you're sad that, that they won't rewind some of them and you'll never get to see them. Sad. Because that's how the world used to be. You have no idea how lucky you are if you get to watch every episode of your favorite TV show whenever you want. Because it's streaming on Netflix. Yes, that's not how it used to be. That's true. <laughs> we used to have, have to buy a DVR system and program it if we weren't going to be home. I was programming a fucking VCR. Yep, yep. yep. God damn. 
Uh, fashion, thumbs down. Scully's wearing some bad suits in this. Oof, the, yeah, the real bad, pads. real bad. Wow. Sure, it gets better. They, okay. they get her a better, better wardrobe person <laughs> after this pilot. Good. Clearly, Fox was like, uh, no, like they sex this woman up immediately. It didn't even her suits didn't even fit. I mean, I think that was sort of stylish at the time, uh, but it's not appealing. No, Mm-mm. didn't age well. Um, what, blah, blah, is that it? <laughs> I think so. You can't really rate it on Robert Stacks. He's not in it. Although, yeah, you're right. Very Unsolved Mysteries adjacent. So, I mean, thumbs up. I think it's, I, I would say it's clearly inspired by Unsolved Mysteries and also a little Silence of the Lambs. Mm, All yeah. the shots that are in the FBI headquarters, particularly when she like goes down to see Mulder's office, which is like in this basement, feels very Silence of the Lambs, mm. um, which I think is intentional. Yeah. So, I don't know. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed you sharing your X-Files knowledge. Uh, You're like a... I've got so much more. You have no idea. It's disgusting. Our our mystery solvers will eagerly await the video of the X-Files scrapbook. I, I, I need my my blood, sweat, and tears to be appreciated after all this time. Absolutely. I'm going to share that I once wrote to writer Glenn Morgan, who wrote for the show... Mm-hmm. Because I read this interview where he was like, I don't really like this one episode about vampires. And I thought it was great. So I wrote to him and I was like, you're wrong. I love that episode. And he wrote me back and he sent me an autographed script. Wow. Which I don't think I still have, which I have no idea what happened to it. But it was like the best thing that ever happened to me in my entire life. He was clearly impressed that you took the time to write to him to tell him that he was wrong. like, uh, I read this in this old sci-fi magazine I found in a used bookstore. And let me just tell you... <laughs> That episode that you wrote is actually good. <laughs> Wise up, old man. That's amazing. And he wrote to me on Space Above and Beyond Stationery, which was the show he was working on at the time. And it was like, ooh, so wow. exciting. I know. Wow. Remember when you would get a letter in the mail and it was the coolest thing ever? Yeah. And then he went on to like make those fucking Final Destination movies. Mm, yeah. Some other crap. So <laughs> there you go. There I'm you sure, go. I'm sure my letter really is what kept him going all those years. Yeah, probably. He was like, somewhere there's this fucking know-it-all kid that just won't <laughs> shut up about the X-Files. And that's who I make entertainment for. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, God. And here you are with the Successful Unsolved Mysteries podcast. I mean, yeah. Oh, also, I'm just going to end on this little tidbit of information, which is that thanks to friend of the pod, Stephanie, I got to meet drag queen Katya. Yeah. Zomolachnikova. Tell us about this. The other day, because they were college roommates and besties. We went to go see her show, which was amazing. And then afterwards, we got whisked into the... Passed all the fans into the green room. Wow. Like, like uh, the all-stars we are. And uh, so nice. So friendly. So fucking high energy. God Amazing. Damn. But, uh, but yeah, she asked what I did. And I was like, oh, yeah, I work at an acupuncture clinic. But I also have a, a Unsolved Mysteries podcast. And she was just like, what? That sounds amazing. <gasps> is she going to listen? I don't know. Probably not. But, but then I was like, you know what? It is. I was like, yeah, it is kind of amazing. It is amazing. It's kind of cool. And then we talked about how everyone was traumatized by Unsolved Mysteries because you do. we're pretty much the same age. And also that I had to tell her that Robert Stack once had a threesome with Elizabeth <laughs> Taylor and JFK. It just came out. I was like, here's an interesting thing I know. Famous person. Amazing. That's how I hold hold a, I was like, oh, hi, it's so nice to meet you. By the way, Robert Stack once had a threesome. <laughs> With JFK and Elizabeth Yeah. Taylor. And they were like, how do you know that? <laughs> I know everything. <laughs> no. Because it's in her biography. Yeah. That's how. And I'm an expert on these things. Duh. So, I assume Katya has a picture <laughs> now. Shout out to Katra. Hi. And I'm impressed that I said Zomolachnikova. I'm impressed as well. Okay. That's the end. That was my last story. Thanks for giving us money. Thank you. We love it so much. Bye. Bye.